We are very honored to have Scott Martin with us. He spent, yeah, you guys can clap. <laughs> he spent 38 years, 38 years in the Chi Alpha Ministries. And I'm just so honored to be able to welcome him up this morning. So if we all just wanna give him a big round of applause as he comes up this morning. Hey, well, good morning, you mighty men and women of God. Well, that's about half of you, all right? Let's say, hey, good morning, you mighty men and women of God. Good oh, man, it's good to be with you. I want to say this. If I lived around here, I'd want to go to this church. Man, I'll tell you, I was already ministered to this morning through the worship and just watching how you all are intersecting and interfacing with each other. I mean, that's just a powerful thing. So, uh, I've, I've, Pastor Joey, man, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I've really just felt the Spirit of the Lord, just been encouraged, just in the worship, just being around with the brothers and sisters, I've already been encouraged in the Lord. So now I will say this, I made a little mistake coming here this morning. So I was headed up from Casa Grande, I was going up to 51, got off on exit 10 to Cactus, I'm driving down Cactus, out of the corner of my eye, on the north side of the road, I catch chompies. Now I don't get chompies it's a very rare thing for me. Next thing I know, I'm out flipping a U-turn, and I consumed a month's worth of sugar already this morning, okay? So I'm already down a month's worth of sugar. So I made a little mistake there, but I think I'll burn some of it off here this morning. Oh, man, but it is so good to be with you here. Um, hey, I do just want to uh, say this, too. Just after you guys in, in worship this morning, um, I have... My, one of my books, my latest release of my book, Kingdom Authority, and I really don't, I'm not a peddler on stuff, okay? So just as you know. Um, but I, after words, I say guys, words, I, say, I think these people would really appreciate this book. I have some of them on the corner there. They normally sell on that back table there. They normally sell for $20, but because I can get them for cheaper and get them, and no shipping, um, I can get them to you for 15 And it is, honestly, it's a powerful exegesis through storyline. A lot of the stories here in Arizona. Um, I'm walking in kingdom authority. A lot of people get kingdom authority and spiritual authority confused, but they're not the same thing. Kingdom authority is when Jesus speaks to the sea and it calms, okay? Kingdom authority is when Jesus speaks a fig tree and it dies and it withers and dies, okay? Kingdom authority is when the Red Sea parts. That kind of stuff is kingdom authority. That's the authority that Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, the cosmos and on earth, everything. Else. That's kingdom authority. And he said, because of that, you can go and make disciples of all nations because when he died on the cross, gave us his Holy Spirit, he desired his will as it is church doesn't just walk in spiritual authority, but we walk in the fullness of the kingdom of God. You guys hear what I'm saying? Now, basically, actually, there's four parts to kingdom authority. And if you don't have all four parts, you'll never walk in the fullness of kingdom authority. And that's why we see very little of it today. We see very little kingdom authority. Very sporadic around the world. And that's not the intention of God. Number one is moral authority. Number two, biblical authority. Number three, delegated into authority. Number four is spiritual authority. So spiritual authority and kingdom authority are not the same thing. I unpack that. And here's the thing. You'll never see the fullness of kingdom authority when we look in Jesus' life unless all four of those things are in operation at the same time. 
And so one of the problems we've seen in Christendom is this. Oh, we've seen people, they can cast out devils. Man, they can preach a great message. They can be ordained with the church, but not walk in moral authority. And therefore, they never walk in the fullness of kingdom authority. Check this out. You can have a a total heathen get up and preach the gospel this morning. No, listen, man, they preach the word. There's power in the word of God. They just preach the word. Guess what? People will get saved because there's power in the word of God. But you will not see kingdom authority flow through that person because they're not walking in the fullness of the other components. So that's what the book kind of dissects. Um, it was a great revelation that the Lord began to show. So I encourage you, if you, it's back there, and uh, so I encourage you to take a look at it if you want. And I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just think it might be something that's beneficial after being in your church and seeing the hunger of God in here. So let me just give you a little background. Uh, my name is uh, East Scott Martin. I am an Arizona boy. My family was here in Arizona before Arizona was a state. Um, they've been here since the 1800s. Um, I was born, and let me just start off by saying this. I look around here. Man, Pastor Joe, when I just saw people pressing into worship, but I was, I was honestly deeply moved by the Spirit this morning, just, just in worship. I, I really was. I thought, man, these are my kind of people here. I said, I could realize I could really worship here and love this church. Um, but let me just say this. Every one of you in here were created with a purpose and a destiny in God. I saw one of, you know, your, your big values here is, is connecting people with their purpose. I want to say this. Man, every one of us in here, we're created with a purpose and a destiny in God. You're not random. Jesus did nothing random on earth. I don't care what your circumstances are today, what you're facing, you are still created with a purpose and a destiny in God. From the kids, over there on my point, right, the kids are over there. From the little kids all the way up to the eldest in our church here this morning, you have a purpose and a destiny. And the most important thing in your life is tapping into what that is, why I was born, why I was created, and fulfilling that purpose and destiny in Christ. And circumstances cannot overcome that. I mean, if it was circumstances, I would not be standing before you this morning. I was born to a single parent. I've never seen my natural father. The only male figure in my family committed suicide in the house I lived in when I was five. That was my grandmother. My mother died when I was eight, and I was left to live with my grandmother right down the road at 2029 North Dayton. That was near McDowell and and 12th Street, okay? Um, Right down in that area back in, in the day. I ran the streets, did whatever I wanted to. I went to Emerson Elementary School. If anybody knows that, it's on Palm Lane, and 7th Street, that corner, I, I, that was the elementary school I went to when I was a, a kid. Um, but I had no knowledge of Jesus. I was only raised in liberal Judaism, literal Christianity. I, I, I ran around. Uh, the Martin family, and I'm not, I'm not Scott Martin by birth. I'm Scott Mercer by birth. The Martin family took notice of me running around. And uh, so they started inviting me to hang out with them. And I was running around the streets. So they invited me to start hanging out with them. Good Christian family. So I was hanging out with them. They invited me to go to church with them. And I'll tell you, I didn't want to go to church. I really didn't want to go to church, but I didn't want to let them down because I liked the family. But, so I decided to go, and it was Central Assembly of God that was on 9th and Oak Street. So it's kind of fun for me to tell a story with people who have some geographical understanding of where this is. It was at 9th and Oak Street. 
And I walked in to that church central assembly and there was probably about as many people in that sanctuary that morning as we have here. And I walked in and for the first time in my life at the age of eight, I experienced the love of the church. Now, how many of you know there's a difference between experiencing the love of God and the love of the church? You know there's a difference? Uh-huh. God loves everybody. I'll let that sit there with you for a minute. <laughs> yeah, man, God loves everybody. Man, yeah, I've been to some church. Okay, I don't see no love here, all right? Well, I've seen it in this one this morning. But, man, I walked in. These people love me. They fed me. They clothed me. They bathed me. They make sure I had things that, that I needed. So I was nine years old. The Martins invited me to move in with them. So I took them up on the offer. So the cool thing was that I got a new mom and dad. The challenging thing is that three sisters came with the package. <laughs> so they moved from Phoenix, where um, he taught at Central High School, moved from Phoenix to Florence. And everybody knows what Florence is famous for, right? Okay, so yeah, say present. So they moved from Florence to Phoenix. He becomes a junior, on a farm and ranch out there. So they move on a Diversion Dam Road. If you know any of the geography, they move on a Diversion Dam Road along the Gila River. Farm and ranch. He became the junior high principal. My new mom was a school teacher. Um, three sisters. And so we, we jump into Florence. Now Florence at that point had no Holy Spirit-filled church at all in the community. So the Martins come in and they felt it was incumbent upon themselves. Man, we need to see uh, a Spirit-filled church here. And so they took it upon themselves as lay people to um, fund everything and help everything happen for Florence First Assembly of God. And so that church was really founded on the back of, of the Martins and they bought the land, they paid the pastor's salary, they bought the church van. I mean, they just gave and gave and gave. Okay, I thought I was poor again because they're giving so much to the church. I mean, but they gave and gave to gave to make sure that Florence would have a witness of Jesus Christ in that community. Um, now, the thing about Florence is this, and so I'm not being disparaged or anything, but I want to be truthful. Most of the people there, they either had parents who lived in the prison or they worked for the prison, and it was a rough community. I'm just saying, man, it was, a, it, it was a rough community growing up. I mean, my high school, 262 students in the high school when I was there, 64 students in my graduating class, and I'm not kidding when I tell you this. There's only this many believers in that entire high school. And I'm only holding up four and a half fingers, okay? I left half of the finger out on the farm, okay? So four and a half fingers. And I, at that point, I was kind of, when I started to hit my teenage years, I was like the half a Christian there. I, I was saved, didn't give any, any problem, but there's no fire of God in my life. I had been raising the AG since I was nine now. So I know all the culture. You know, I knew when I was supposed to say, man, I knew I raised my hands. I didn't want to go up and cry. I didn't want to go to the altar. I knew all that kind of stuff. I went to the camps. I went to camp up in Prescott. I did the sectional route. I did everything he did as a good AG kid. But, man, I'll tell you, being in Florence High School, I was nominal. Hey, you go to that crazy church over there? Oh, yeah. And just so you get a really good read on it, two people in my, in my high school, or two people in my youth group, two people in my youth group, and I didn't even like the other person. And so that was my sister, Debbie. So I just said, you know. So you get the kind of picture. It was bleak, all right? It was bleak. So I graduate from Florence High School. And I decide, man, I'm going to go get my medical doctor. I'm going to the University of Arizona. I'm going to go get my medical doctor degree, get my five-bedroom house in the foothills after that. Um, yeah, I'll pay my tithes. And every now and then I'll throw some chump change to missions. And I'll go live happily ever after, okay? That was my goal. And, and I, at that point, I was a Christian narcissist. I wanted just enough Jesus to keep me out of hell, but make all my dreams come true. 
And so God was there for me. It was all about me. Hey, you, you promised me this and that, and you better, I, I want to see this happen. And honestly, my whole posture when I was 18 years old, God, it's all about me. You help my dreams come true. He, he was my, he wasn't, he wasn't my Lord and Savior. He was my Santa Claus. Um, and at 18 years old, no fire of God. Yeah, I think I was saved, but there's no fire of God. So I get on the University of Arizona. So I'm come from the high school of, of 262 to a university of 30,000. Now my undergraduate is in biology. My master's is in soil and water science from the College of Agriculture. My doctorate um, is from the Son of God Theological Seminary, uh, doctor of ministry. So my primary education though comes in the sciences. Well, my first day on class, I'm sitting in cell bio 103. I get in, there's 350 students enrolled in the course. I sit down in the class. A professor had not gotten up and had a syllabus yet. And he looks out amongst all the students. Now on day one, everybody's there. So it's packed. I'm sitting in the back. I'm a little nervous. It's my first class on the university. Professor's up. He's not had a syllabus. He looks out amongst the 350 students and he asks this question. He said, how many of you believe in evolution? 338 students raise their hands. Now I'm going to tell you how I know 338 students raise their hands because he asked a follow-up question. He said, now how many of you believe that God created the earth? So now he's calling us out. And I saw 11 students raise their hands. And being the good nominal Christian I was that day, I decided I would abstain from the vote. But the professor said, hey, we just want you to know this class is taught on an evolutionary basis, but we do want to respect those of you who believe in God. So it wasn't a bad thing, but for the first time in my life at the age of 18, I had a word from God. Now, how many of you know that God still speaks to people today? You know that, man? God still speaks to people today, and he knows how to speak your vernacular. He knows exactly how to speak so that you get his message. It's about 8.07 a.m., Thursday, August 25th, 1980-something. Holy Spirit speaks to me, and here is a direct quote. Scott, you are a weenie Christian who doesn't have the courage to take a stand for me. Basically, Scott, you don't have what it takes to be the man of God that I've called you to be right now on the universe. And man, it shook me at my core. All of a sudden, I started having this revelation, this uh-oh. You know, there's aha moments and there's uh-oh moments. This was an aha moment. This was an uh-oh moment. Uh-oh. So I remember I'm walking around campus. I've seen these posters up all over the university. Kayafa Christian Fellowship or InterVarsity, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meets tonight in the Student Union Cactus Lounge Room 285. Any graduates here from the University of Arizona? All right, man, you guys, you guys remember the, the Cactus Lounge here at the U of A? Okay, room 285, man, it's good to be, I'm, I'm flashing the sign, okay, I'm flashing the sign. Um, to, <laughs> to, to, that's, a satan, that's a satanic symbol. That's a satanic symbol. So, I mean, that night, I get my unsaved roommate. I said, there's a meeting where I go to. So we get in a little bit late. I'm still kind of maneuvering the campus. We get in a little bit late. I walk in, 80 students crammed in this room, one acoustic guitar, and these students were going for God with a sense of passion and authenticity I never experienced from my own age group without some form of manipulation. I mean, they were going for God. And I'd never seen, 
I can just, just voluntarily, night one, day one on the campus, just press in. And when I walked to the threshold of the door, I felt the tangible presence of the Lord. I pray that when people walk through those doors, they sense the tangible presence of the Lord, because I'm going to tell you why. When I did, and I saw these people worshiping, something triggered in my heart as an 18-year-old, good AG kid, but as an 18-year-old, the Lord spoke to me, and I'm just something, I spoke to the Lord, and I said, whatever it is they have, Lord, I need this. And so that night, you know, somebody gets up, and they share the word. I can't tell you what it was. I'm getting ready to walk out the doors. And one of their upperclassmen grabs me before I get out, okay? And he goes, hey, is this your first day on campus? Yes. You know, where are you from? Okay, yeah. Where you hey, do you want to do breakfast with him around morning? Really? I mean, I never experienced it. I, really? Yeah, I mean, let's do breakfast. So the next morning, I'm meeting with him, and for the U of A grads, the Fiddly Fig restaurant. So I'm with him there in one of the, the cafeterias at the U of A, and Paul just begins to query me. Now, Scott, um, how long have you been a Christian? Okay. Um, yeah, why'd you pick the U of A? What are you studying? Oh, cool. You know, um, what do you want to do in their life? All right, neat. Then he says, now, how's your quiet time? So I'm like, what? He said, your quiet time. I said, I think, I think it's pretty good. I, I'm getting about six hours sleep a night. Right now. No kidding. I, I had no reference point. I had zero reference point for what he's talking about. Okay. He goes, no, man. I'm talking about when you read your Bible every day. So I'm 18 years old. I've been raised in the church. But I never read the Bible for myself. Oh, I heard every message that could ever be preached. I'd heard all the preachers. I've, I've been to the camps. I've been through Sunday school. I knew the stories, but I had never systematically, at the age of 18, read the Bible for myself. Paul goes, Scott, dude, you got to start reading the Bible every day. Every day? Every day. So he began to teach me how to start systematically reading the Bible and the Word of God. And let me tell you something. When you begin to open the word of God yourself and you begin to read the scripture, it begins to transform who you are. At the age of 18, my life was transformed as I began to open the scripture and it began to change me. And I can remember the day in that spring semester at the U of A, I got down on my knee and I said, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm giving you every minute, every penny, every breath I have. I'm surrendering all to you, Lord. And from that day, I've, I've not backed away from, from that commitment. There's something powerful when you personally assume responsibility for the words of Jesus. I want to say that again. There's something powerful when you personally assume responsibility for the words of Jesus, not just corporately. One of the problems is this. Too many times we assume responding corporately. That's his job. That's her job. That's somebody else's job. And we abdicate kingdom responsibility to everybody else. There's something powerful when we step up and say, okay, Jesus, I'm assuming responsibility for the words, for your words and what it means for me. That next Semester, we started Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha is College Ministries of the Assemblies of God on the Secular University. We started Chi Alpha, the University of Arizona. So I was part of the very first beginning of the nascent stages of a move of God that would take place there at the U of A. I spent 15 years. I was our first Chi Alpha missionary there. I won't call on you, but the Lord called me out of medical school. 
to pioneer Chi Alpha on the university. And can I tell you, man, when I was a student, we'd be in our small group and we'd meet every week and we were deep, deep relationships that we would have with each other that last to this day. To this day, these relationships are tight. I can remember just opening up the scripture and reading and asking this question, what does this mean for us today here on campus? I mean, what, what does this mean for us today? I remember we were, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, going all the world, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, going all the world, make disciples of all nations. And we said, what does this mean? Man, my, my roommate in my small group, he goes, man, it means we got to go. He went and signed up with the Baptist Mission Board, left at the age of 22. He came back at the age of 25 in a pine box, sending a widow and a young child, an infant. Died on the border of Pakistan. Another one of my roommates went to Malaysia. Man, got to go. Never heard from again. So if you want to know, am I serious about what I'm telling you? I am. We've lived it out. I'm not just trying to preach to you some nice little, cute little message. 38 years, I've actually been even more than 38 years with Chi Alpha because you can add another five years onto that as a student, all right? So I want you to know is this. I've been irrevocably committed to what I'm sharing with you this morning. My wife and I are missionaries with the Assemblies of God. We've, and I'll share some stuff from our overseas here in a little bit. Um, but I want to ask you guys a couple questions this morning as we get started. And so a little bit of my story and just some discussion questions as uh, we begin to open up the scripture. And we'll just take a few minutes. So question one, I'd like you guys around your table just to discuss this for a couple minutes here. In the first 30 years of the church, what do you think it was like to be a Christian? So think about it. In the first 30 years of the church, what, what was it like to be a Christian then? Okay, lifestyle, expectation, works, threats, all that stuff. So go ahead, dig, dig into that one. All right, good job, you guys. Thank you so much for being engaged with that. Just a minute, we're going to unpack a, a passage of Scripture in two different, I'm going to read it through two different versions, and we'll unpack that, and we'll unpack it through storyline as well. But I do want to say this. I, I believe the secular university is the most strategic mission field in the world. If you think about it, every religion, every race, every creed, every culture represented there 365 days a year, and we as a church have an opportunity to be there, man. It is powerful. It is powerful. Matter of fact, I'm on somebody here. Can anybody think of a place where every religion, race, creed, culture is represented 365 days a year, and we have the church can be there other than the secular university? You think about it for a minute. I had one person say Walmart. Oh, okay, you're close, man. You're, you're, you're really close. Okay, close. If you take a really good thought about it, you know, one person said the United Nations. Yeah, you go try to share Jesus at the United Nations. You'd be lucky if you get out of there without being in handcuffs, okay? Um, you know, the truth is that when we look globally, there is no place more strategic as a mission field than the secular university. The secular university is the fulcrum of all societal and cultural evolution. In other words, everything that happens uh, in the world is driven off of the secular university. Our scientific discoveries, our literature, our music, our act, everything comes from that institution. 
And it's really a deconstructionist institution in that it wants to deconstruct the whole things of the kingdom. And God's doing some powerful, let me just say this, there's some powerful moves of the Holy Spirit happening right now in our secular universities. Charles Hibib Malik, so I always say it's a fulcrum of all cultural and societal evolution. Charles Hibib Malik, the former general secretary of the United Nations, said this, more potently than by any other means, you change the university, you change the world. So my wife, Crystal, and I, who Linda used to babysit. Linda, where are you? There we go. Linda used to babysit my wife when she was a little girl here in, in Phoenix. And so it's fun to have um, family. I want to make sure I get a photo with you and Ron before we go here. Um, I've got a wife and two kids. My wife is a mighty woman of God. She is the national director of the Network of Women Ministers. Not women ministries. She's the national director of women ministers for the assemblies of God. And uh, so she, man, just a, a beautiful mother, beautiful wife, incredible woman of God. Um, go anywhere for the kingdom. I mean, she, she's just awesome. She's a rugged, beautiful woman. I have two, two sons. I should put a photo up there. Um, one of them is an attorney in Washington, D.C. Um, and he has also been the attorney for two federal judges. So he, he was an attorney. So he's really networked. He, he used to work directly next to the White House. So from his office, he said he could look in and every now and then and see Joe Biden, okay? I mean, literally, that's, that's where he was, okay? But he's so sick of, of D.C., he's like, I can't take it another year. He said, he, so he's trying to get back here to Arizona. Um, but he's, well, he can't take D.C. much longer. But he's doing some powerful things for the kingdom and some incredible kingdom work there in D.C. as an attorney. My uh, younger son, Marcus, is a Ph.D. student uh, in agricultural leadership and technology at the University of Arkansas. And so somehow they just had a great program. He's, he's down there, and he's married to Molly. She's an awesome woman of God as well. So that's our makeup. So we've been missionaries for 38 years. Crystal and I pioneered the student missions arm of Chi Alpha. Um, and in our season's missionaries, we've served in Kyrgyzstan as well as in Kazakhstan. Presently, I'm transitioning into, uh, we're transitioning into another world missions appointment. Um, I served as the national director of Chi Alpha also for nine and a half years. And so I really serve in a position of, of really apostolic and prophetic um, in global campus ministry. So um, even extending beyond Chi Alpha with crew and intervarsity and navigators. And um, so it's just it's a neat season that we're in right now. But we're assuming a new world missions position. But during our tenure, so I spent 15 months at the U of A. From there, we pioneered the student missions arm, became national director. Um, we pioneered Chi Alpha in the nation of Kyrgyzstan, all right? And Kyrgyzstan is one of those Central Asian countries. It is way stuck out um, in the middle of nowhere. This is where, if you were part of the former Soviet Union and they got mad at you, this is one of the places they'd want to send you, okay, was Kyrgyzstan. So when we went in, it was, um, it's a Muslim nation. It had just broken out of the former Soviet Union. And so it was kind of like, you know, when you mix Islam and communism together, it's like mixing drugs and alcohol. Something bad is bound to happen, you know. And so uh, that, that's where we were. I'm going to dig into that here in a minute. But I want to open up the scripture with us for a minute. We're going to pack that through some storyline. And I believe that God's going to say something to every one of us here today through this. And so this is Romans 12, verse 1. We're going to read it in the NIV. And also we'll read it in the... Uh, in the ESV, I believe it is. 
So, but we're going to start with the, uh, we're going to start with the NIV. And here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Missing an eye on that one, but true and proper worship, okay? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's NIV. Let's go down to the New King James Version, and here's what it, that says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, so let's just begin to unpack uh, th- this passage. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And far too many times we just skim over. We don't really dig in and don't say, what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? And this is a question we want to ask. What does this mean for us today? So I urge you, I, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, you present your what? Your what? What do you present? Your bodies. Your bodies. And what you present it as a living? Let's say it again. Living? Sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, that word body in the Greek is the word soma. So if anybody here remembers any of your biology and somatic cells, those are regenerative cells, okay? It's the same word tied in. So that means the flesh. This stuff right here, when I say flesh, it's the carbon matter of you. Sometimes you say the word flesh, we're talking about the propensity of somebody to sin. And this kind of, when I'm using flesh, I'm talking about your, your blood, your guts, your skin, you know, that's the flesh, okay? And so um, offer this body a living sacrifice. Whoa, what are you talking about? That word sacrifice in the Greek is thusia. And what that means is this. Here's the interpretation. That which is laid at the altar to be fully consumed for God's pleasure. So that word sacrifice, when you break that down, it means that which is laid at the altar to be fully consumed for God's pleasure. So let's unpack this a little bit. He's saying, the apostle says, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, everything's done. You, you lay down your bodies, this thing, on the altar of sacrifice to be fully consumed for God's pleasure. And listen to this next statement. Holy, pleasing to God. Let's go to the, um, let's go to the New King James on this one, which is your reasonable service. The other said, your act of worship. We oftentimes think worship is raising our hands and, and, pray, and singing. But when you look at the full context of worship, it's how you live your life every day. That's what worship is. It's the expression of how we live our lives. That's your worship. Singing, raising our hands, is only one part of worship. But the full encompassing here is is how we live our lives every single day. But he says in the New King James Version, this is your reasonable service. Now he says your act of worship. Your reasonable service. Well, let me tell you, when I sat down and told you about my roommate Ray McBride, who went to Pakistan and he died at the age of 25 in Pakistan, most of you go, oh my gosh, wow, how tragic. Wow, that is just exemplary service. <laughs> That's not exemplary. Don't let the enemy deceive you to think that that's exemplary service. 
That was not exemplary service. That was reasonable service. That's not exemplary. That's reasonable service. That's a reasonable thing that we do when we fire. We are all in. We are all in. Do you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, for this is the reasonable service that we do. So sometimes we think that when people go and they give a bunch or they go far or maybe they die, wow, that was just exemplary. Actually, no, that's not exemplary. That's reasonable. Now, I honor, I honor my brother Ray for, for modeling that for us. I honor my brother James for modeling that for us. But I'll tell you something, man. That's the reasonable service. That's what we do as followers of Christ. So you do as the people of God, okay? That, 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 that's who we are. That's what we do. So Crystal and I packed up our family and we took a team of 11, 11 recent graduates out of Chi Alpha as missionary associates. And we went to the nation of Kyrgyzstan. Our first, our first uh, tour was in Kyrgyzstan. Our next term was in Kazakhstan. But man, we were in Kyrgyzstan and we're planting the flag of Christ on, uh, on the campuses there in Kyrgyzstan. We get there, it's our first day. And let me just say this, friends. There are people waiting for you. God is orchestrating divine appointments for you with people here in Phoenix and people around the world. He's orchestrating these things. It's day one, Chris and I are on the, on the university. We're walking through the campus and a little round table, half the size of these two girls are sitting there sipping tea, all right? And so the student union was probably half the size of our auditorium here. So you got to know these students. So we're walking through, these two girls are sipping and they were speaking English. Well, let me tell you something, man. When you're in Kyrgyzstan, you're people speaking English, you're turning your head, okay? I mean, so they're speaking English, we turn our head and we walk up to girls. Your English is amazing. I mean, your English is amazing. Where did you learn it? Well, we each spent a year in America as study abroad students. <gasps> really? Yeah. I said, so which, where are you from? Where are you from? Well, we're from Turkmenistan. Well, how many of you have ever heard of Turkmenistan? Just a handful. How many of you have ever met anybody from Turkmenistan? Ex one. I had never, let me tell you, and the Assemblies of God has never had a missionary, long-term missionary in Turkmenistan. Never in our history. We've never had any missionaries there. Okay, never a resident missionary. Part of my team got in. I can't call the story of that. Got in for a week or so, but nobody long-term has ever been in Turkmenistan. Completely locked down Muslim nation. All of a sudden, we're sitting here with two girls from Turkmenistan. I never met him ever. So, wow, well, what's your name? So the girl, let's get the photo up of the two girls. So the girl um, to your, your left, her name was Lida. And she goes, well, my name is Lida. I said, oh, Lita. I said, so where'd you say? She said, well, I studied in, in Wisconsin. So, oh, so she's telling us her little story about the time, the year that she spent in Wisconsin. She spoke good English, understood our culture. So talking, oh, that's so cool. So the girl to the right, her name is Yetta, Yetta. And um, she said, well, my name's Yetta. I said, oh, Yetta, well, where did you study? So Chris and I are really, where did you say? Well, I studied in one of those far west states. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been to every western state. She said, well, it's the state of Arizona. I said, girl, we're from Arizona. No way. Yes. Yes, you're from Arizona. I said, what town were you in? Well, she, she called it a village. She goes, well, I was in the village of Catalina. So you guys know where Catalina is? It's right outside of Tucson. She goes, I'm in the village of Catalina. 
Well, I drove past that all the time going to the University of Arizona. I said, oh, I know Catalina so well. So we started talking about Catalina. Well, you have to understand, in that part of the world, there's no such thing as fountain drinks. There's no such thing as ice. There's no such thing as all you can drink, all you can eat. It doesn't exist there. So she starts talking about the local Circle K. Yeah, man, there's a thing called Circle K there. Oh, yeah. The Thirst Buster. Oh, yeah. She's, and I'm not kidding. She's not talking about the Thirst Buster. And her eyes started misting with tears. Okay, that's how much she missed it. So she's talking about, And she goes, yeah, but... I, and so the funny thing was, I was wearing a U of A t-shirt under my shirt. I go, and I flash. I said, look, you know. So I'm showing her the U of A t-shirt. Oh, my gosh. You know, so she's just all. She said, well, while I was there, my host family actually moved from, from Catalina. They moved into a smaller town. She said, I, I'm sure you would know that village. I said, I know every village in Arizona. I said, which one was it? She goes, it was a village of Florence. I said, Yetta, I'm from Florence. I graduated from there. I'm a Florence gopher. She goes, I mean, she starts trembling. They both start shaking. They both start shaking because all of a sudden they realize. See, they don't understand. You want to know what a divine appointment is? That's called divine appointment. When God has begun to orchestrate things, he had orchestrated things for years for this moment. Man, she's sitting there trembling. They're both trembling. I mean, she's literally shaking. I said, yeah, I'm from Florence. I didn't see what I'm talking about. She, she couldn't believe it. God opened up such a sovereign door through that moment with us, with Turkmen students. Lida, that very next week, came to the very first Chi Alpha meeting. It was called One More Friend in the history of Central Asia. I mean in history. She comes to that meeting, and the first altar call I ever gave she responded and committed her life to Christ. Had the privilege, I could show you some other photos of her, of baptizing her in water and praying for her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Man, it was powerful. She began to share with the other Turkmen. We'd have 30 Turkmen students coming uh, to our events. Yetta, her family were pretty hardcore Muslims, and she knew the consequences of what could happen if you become a Christian. She understood that. And... It took her 18 months, but at the end of 18 months, she made that, that all-in commitment to Jesus, all-in. And I had the privilege of praying for her baptism and baptizing her in water as well. But let me say this. God sent her all the way to Florence, Arizona, where I was, and sent me all the way there. You listen to this. He sent her to Florence and sent me to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, so that we could deliver the kingdom of God to them and they could take that over to Turkmenistan where we can't go now. What would have happened? I'm not patting myself, but what would have happened if Chris and I said, you know what? Ah, we don't want to go to Kyrgyzstan. That's way too hard. There's nothing decent there. Man, we don't want to go there. Send us to Belgium. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not, I, mean, I don't want to go to Kyrgyzstan. I, my boys, I don't want to take my boys to Kyrgyzstan. I could tell you some of the hardships, some of the things I I, I lived, anybody ever see 24 with Jack Bauer? I lived an episode of that in Kyrgyzstan. No, I, I'm not kidding. Boy, there was stuff we went through there. Ooh, I wouldn't wish that, wouldn't wish that on anybody. But if we would have said no, she, her two little boys, husband, 
family, they wouldn't know Jesus today. Leader, they wouldn't know Jesus today. How far are you willing to go for Jesus? How much of us does God really have? How much of us today does God really have? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you had a mucus moment up at the altar one day. I'm talking about how much of us does God really have in the way that we, we live, the way that we spend, the way that we spend our time, the way that we give. How much of us, how much of our stuff does God really have? Let me tell you, for those two young ladies, it was all in. It was all in. They, they knew if they went. They were all in. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service. Not your exceptional service, your reasonable service. Let me just wrap things up with this last little story as we take this scripture into real perspective. How much of us does God really have? Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. We'll go to the next, next picture here. Um, the, the blonde girl to the left, her name is Lindsay. And Lindsay was a student at the University of Arizona. Okay, So she'd been discipled in this whole thing of give your prayer by lifetime. Every student goes, gives praise, welcomes. She had this mission DNA in her. She had the very first world mission summit. So Chris and I had the pleasure of architecting and implementing uh, four world mission summits in which it was a national Chi Alpha conference. In which we saw thousands upon thousands of Chi Alpha students commit to the nations and go, and go. I am gonna throw this in right now. Not boasting whatever, I want you to know. Chi Alpha is the largest producer of missionaries in all the assemblies of God, world and US. So from the secular university, from the secular university, we're producing more missionaries than anywhere else. You wanna know why? Because we disciple those students in terms of their responsibility to the nations, all right? It's part of our message and discipling to them. As a national missions director, I'm going a little bit off, but just give me two minutes on this. A national director um, for uh, missions in Chi Alpha, I serve in that capacity. Do you know what I found was the greatest inhibitor to the student missions movement? Do you want to know what it was? Christian parents. Oh, no, no, don't, don't challenge my kid. Don't send my kid. No, it's too dangerous. No, 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 no. Offer. What are we offering at the altar? Let me suggest something to us, parents and grandparents. What are you speaking to the lives of your kids? And are we willing to lay them at the altar as well? What are we discipling? Are we impeding the work of the kingdom? Are we, and let me tell you something. Man, what about your kids? Well, they served overseas, although it was... Uh, they were conscripted their first couple of times. But let me tell you what, man. Upon graduation, um, Mercer went and served in, in Russia. He speaks incredible Russian. Um, our, our older son's daughter, they became uh, part of Chi Alpha staff. So they've, they've done their, their mission call. They, they made that commitment. How far are you willing to go for the cause of Christ? How far are we here as, as a church? Fountain of life, how far are we willing to go? So Lindsay was a student at the University of Arizona. She'd been discipled. She went to the First World Mission Summit. Crystal and I gave a call to um, 4,000 students. Hey, who will give a year and pray about a lifetime? And they began to come up and say, we're committing. We're committing to give at least one year and pray about a lifetime. Lindsay was one of those. She knew that we were going to, the, to Kyrgyzstan. She said, Scott and Crystal, man, are you of A people? I'm going with you. So she goes with us to Kyrgyzstan. She, I mean, just, just, 
I mean, she's like any, any of our young adults sitting in here. She sat in your seat. But she said, I can do this. One year, we can do anything for a year. I'm going with you. So she gets to Kyrgyzstan, and nobody knew what to expect because it never happened before. Here's something you've got to understand. We went where it had never happened before, so we didn't know what we were running into. We're going into complete, untouched territory in that campus stuff. Nobody knew what to expect. We saw such a remarkable move of God. I want to tell you something. You might get all spooked by the Muslim world. They are starving for the message of Christ. These students, these university students, we could see the greatest movement if we just had people willing to go and bring them the message. Oh, every single week we had them come into Christ. So Lindsay connects with Acel. Acel was a freshman, and she had also served a year here in America. Check this out. Gosh, if you just want to see how God orchestrates things, you guys. She served a year here in America, and she served in Texas. And her host family were in the Islamic God couple. When she discovered we were Islamic God missionaries because she'd been to an Islamic God church, she couldn't believe it. I mean, she literally could not get her mind around that because we had to be very, very careful, you know. She could not believe it. Friends, I'm telling you, God is orchestrating things around the world. He's orchestrating things for every single person around this table. If we are willing to put our lives down on the altar of sacrifice and say anytime, anything, anywhere, I'm telling you right now. I'm not saying every one of you have to go right now. I wish every one of you would for a little bit of time. I really do. I wish every one of you would go for a little bit of time. I mean, why sit around here and just hit a little ball with a stick when you can go and do something great for God? I mean, think about that for a minute. So she meets Asel. Asel was a Muslim from a very strong Muslim family in Kyrgyzstan. I mean, these people were hardcore. Her dad went to the mosque every single, every single day to get the blessing from the imam. I mean, these people were hardcore. So she meets Lindsay, and Lindsay just begins to pour into her, just begins to disciple her, begins to love her, invites her into her small group. And so she begins to relationally just impart the kingdom of God and to a cell, and a cell, her life, whoa, okay. So I'll never forget, it was October of the very first semester there, and it was in, in one of our large group meetings, and Lindsay brings a cell up to me, and she says, Scott, a cell would like to share something with you. I'm like, oh, crud. You know, here, here it goes, here it comes. So I'll never forget, I come, I'm sitting down with her, and again, we had to be very, very careful, very careful, because you get up in jail, dead, or, or out of there. So I'm very careful, she says, Scott, Direct quote. I literally, this is a direct quote. She says, I know everything you're saying is true. She said, but I'm a Muslim. And I have seen what has happened to other Muslims when they have become Christians, unquote. Exactly what she said. Now, for us who could leave any time we wanted, if it got hot, we could just run out of the country. She couldn't. I put my arm around her. I said, I can't say that I understand I can't say that. You know, we like to say, oh, you need to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Well, that's easy for us to say. And here in America, what's take up your cross look like? Oh, I'm, I'm, don't get my, my new iPhone 15 as soon as I want it, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean that, that, that's what it looks like. That's what sacrifice looks like here. So, I mean, it's, I remember putting my arm around her and said, Cell, I can't say I, I understand I want you to know we love you. 
And we will still love you. Even if you never come to Christ, we will still love you. And you'll be our friend. So I want you to know that. Our whole ministry there, we called it One More Friend. And you will be our friend. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, over time, God starts doing some deep work. You know Dana and Bridget Metcalf? Okay. So Dana and Bridget are very close friends of ours. Very close friends. So they were uh, in Tucson then, or in Cottonwood then. And I, I, and it was March that year. I said, Dana, I want you to come out here and do our first ever Chi Alpha retreat in Central Asia. So Dana flies out. He does this retreat. And we had 50 students that were handpicked. You got to understand, we handpicked these students. We focus on three things. This is the only thing we focus on this retreat. One, salvation. You had to make a public confession of faith. Public confession of faith. The second was baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the third was deliverance, casting the devil out of them. And believe me, there were a lot, a lot of deliverance. So every, I'm convinced of this. Every single Afghan student needed deliverance. 100% of them, you needed to pray and cast the demons out of every single one of them. Um, so we're at the retreat now. It's March. And she kind of, I think at this point, she processed, she made this decision. But Dana speaks that night. I'll never forget. He speaks that night. He gives his altar call. And up pops a cell. And she comes running. I mean running up to the altar. Basically declaring, I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. I'm all in. She gets up there. She's crying. And it precipitated those others who had the faith to come up. Well, she's making this public confession now. I mean, everybody's seen it. So won't go into details, but she had to leave. Sunday morning, we're praying for people to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She had to leave that morning. There's school seven days a week there, by the way. It's not like us. So at the university, she had an exam that Sunday morning. So she had to leave that morning before got to pray for people to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Friends. They had no clue what this was. So you've got to understand, these people don't know. They have no baggage. They have zero baggage. We share with them what the scripture says, come up and receive this. And every one of them, boom, 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 boom. Joe, it was amazing. I mean, these, boom, 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 boom. And those who weren't receiving were getting the devils cast out of them. You know, it was just awesome. I mean, every one of them, boom, get filled. Well, they come back down from the mountain. They find themselves, oh my gosh, we had the most incredible experience said, man, the Holy Spirit came on us. We began to speak in languages we didn't know. Well, it sounds like, what, that happened to you? Yes. And I missed it? Yes. Well, she just starts sobbing. I'm over. I missed it. You know, I missed my moment. And so she's just weeping. Well, I'm walking across campus. This is Monday. I'm walking across campus. She heard about it Sunday night. I'm walking across campus. She sees me run and grabs me. I mean, she grabbed me by the shirt. And she's shaking me like this, sobbing. Well, now this whole crowd's gathering around. That's like, I, I'm like, uh-oh, you know, her family found out and they're out to kill her or something, you know. I mean, but she, she saw the whole, this crowd's gathering around, and she goes, she goes, I missed it, I missed it. She goes, I have the little Holy Spirit, but I need the big one. And she's just sobbing, and I said, okay, you're, you're going to receive that. I promise you, you're going to receive And that was a cell's journey, this powerful journey. Um. She served with us faithfully on our team um, before, before she take, took this next big step. She served faithfully on our team there. Um, she was an interpreter, helped us with our, all of our outreaches there. Just awesome. But it came down, and I have uh, permission to share this with you. I received this email. with Don't put the email up yet. Don't put it up yet. I received this email from her. And it was concerning because... Now my team, we had served in Kyrgyzstan, we had served in Kazakhstan, 
Now we're back in the States serving with Chi Alpha, um, but our team is still there. And she sends this disturbing email to me that I want to read to you. And I want to ask you, before we get to I want to ask you a question. How much of you does God really have? How far are you willing to go? And I promise you I'm ending now. How far are you willing to go for Christ? How much do we, how much does he really have? Okay, let's get to the email. Here's what she says. As Christ, as the Lord has put in my heart to talk to my parents about Christ tomorrow, the devil's been trying his best to stop me. However, that is not going to happen. Please pray in the spirit. Please pray in the spirit that I do it tomorrow and not get discouraged from any reaction that will be from my parents' side. Be praying for my dad and mom's hearts, please. I cannot wait to do it because I believe there's a reason, a purpose, a destiny as to why I was born in this family. I am ready to be stoned to death if that is what is supposed to happen. A sell ya. I want you to get this. She's a 23-year-old young woman. Counted the cost. I'm sharing with my family who were all adamant Muslims, and she had seen what happened to others. She goes, I need you guys to pray, pray in the spirit, because tomorrow I'm opening the kingdom to my family, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I am prepared to die. I am prepared to die. I'm ready to be stoned. She had seen this stuff happen. She said, I'm ready. She was from Narin. I'm ready to be stoned to death if that's what's to happen. So the next day, she sits her family down. And she opens up the kingdom of God. And she begins to share. And she's living happily ever after today. She's still alive. Um, her dad was shocked, but her, her mother ended up coming to Christ. And, and it, it's been a, in a process. But here's the cool thing. A cell has ended up an Assemblies of God world missionary. Okay? Some God world missionary um, into the nation of Russia. And so it's, it's all in. It's all in. She asked the question, how much of God does, does he have in her? And she said, you have every bit of it, and I'm willing to die for you. I'm not saying you have to today go and die, thank you. I'm not saying you have to go and die today. But I'm saying how deep is your Christianity? How far are we willing to go for Christ? And how much of us does God really have? I'd like us all to stand, if you would. I'm going to ask you to do something here in just a minute. I'm going to ask every one of you, everybody, I'm asking for 100% participation. If you're able, 100% participation. I'm going to ask that you move from your table, you move from your seat, and you find a place to pray. I'm asking you to find a place, everybody, your own private place. You're going to find a place to pray and ask Jesus this one question. Jesus, how much of me do you say you have? We all think there's, we've done this and that. How much of me do you say you have? And allow him to speak to you. You might say, Scott, I've got 95%, but there's still that 5% that you're holding. How much of our stuff does God own? How much of our decisions? How much of our ambitions? How much of our desires? How much of this does God really have? and allow him to speak. And friends, let me suggest, if it's anything less than 100% this morning, would you ask Jesus to help you 
and be able to release whatever the rest of that is. Parents, does Jesus have the right to your children? Grandparents, does Jesus have the right to your grandkids? Are we putting, speaking that DNA into their lives? Hey, we're all in for Jesus no matter what the cost. Let's find a place to pray. Jesus, how much of us do you have? Now, how much do we think, but how much, Jesus, do you say? Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about this. You ask him, I'm telling you, Jesus is going to give you an answer.